Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Have you heard of Pop Shelf? I talked about it first a couple of years ago when it was first coming alive as an idea. And I kept promising I was going to go to one. I finally did. And I have a report for you how it might or might not fit in your life. And also with rising interest rates, we're seeing more and more ultra low down payment mortgages. And the question is, is it a good decision on your part to go into an ultra low down payment mortgage? And we're going to talk about the pluses and minuses of doing that. So Pop Shelf, which is now in 14 states in the United States, mostly mid-Atlantic and through the South, but ultimately with plans to open a massive number of stores in the United States. And they are doing an anti-kind of power store kind of format. Pop Shelf is geared towards a more affluent shopper who's also interested in a bargain, wants a place they can get in and out of pretty quickly, and the stores are about the size of a CVS or Walgreens. And everybody's looking at the weaknesses inherent in CVS and Walgreens and looking how to take part of that business. But Pop Shelf is more developed than that, even though they have health and beauty, they have a lot of the things that you might find away from the pharmacy area in a CVS or Walgreens, but they do it in a very pleasant environment, and they do it at much lower prices. Almost everything is $1 to $5, but unlike Five Below, which is really in that space as well, Five Below is a teenage girl's dream. But that's their market, and that's who they go after. Pop Shelf is after people who are looking for the top items in a small number of categories, but at prices much lower than category killers. Category killers used to be the, the big thing in retail for a good while. It would be something like Home Depot or Lowe's, or now Bankrupt Party City. Office Depot, Office Max, Staples, PetSmart, Pets this, Pet that. Anybody who was trying to own a particular business area and sell huge volume at generally mid markups, not intense markups except like Party City or CVS or Walgreens, but where there was a fair amount of markup, but people would go because it was easy. You were trying to buy stuff for your pet or for the party or health and beauty or uh, some general merchandise, and you're looking to be able to go in, grab it, 
and go. And if you're worried about the price, well, big problem there. Pop Shelf is doing something so different in that what they're doing is they only sell a small selection in categories where they specifically take on category killers. I mentioned pets. Absolutely. Home goods, where they're taking on people. Uh, Christy, you'll need to help me because I don't go to home goods type stores. What what are brand names like Bed Bath & Beyond that's oh. in trouble? What kind of things are there in that area? What um, stores? Container store, maybe. I haven't been to a pop shelf, so I'm not sure. But container stores where you get a lot of that. That's, that's sort of the, the big brand name. So... Uh, it's it's a very attractive store, as you can see, Krista. They they do very nice displays, and so they talk do about a, what you got. What did you get? You showed me. I you get? actually came by my house to drop something off, and you showed me what you got. That was it. Was a lot of candy. Well, I did as get. I recall, I did get clearance candy. <laughs> you know what I got? The best deal I got. I love fudge. You know, I only eat sweets on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's my treat day. Treat day. And they had fudge that they had stocked for Christmas, and it didn't sell. And the fudge was on clearance for one penny <laughs> a package of fudge. And, you know, if you buy fudge, it's really expensive, at least to me. And so it rang up as a penny. You self-checkout. And I went and found an employee, and I said, ma'am, I think there's a mistake here. This rang up as a penny. That can't be right. She looked at me like I had three heads (laughs) because I don't want to shoplift. To me, that's like a form of shoplifting if something rings up way too cheap. So she goes and asks the manager. It turned out because the item had been a holiday item, they kept marking it down. They were just trying to get it out of there. It was Clark Howard Day. It was Clark Howard Day. But they're divided up beauty section, crafts, household, pets, home, and they've done something really smart. I was going to say crafts would be like Michael's, um, Hobby Lobby, places like that too, probably. So they've done, I can see how they did the signage where let's say they tr- decide to attack a category killer in a particular area and they just fall flat on their face. They just change out that sign and do a new category killing. So this is something they're ramping up. They expect to have a thousand stores. Uh, you know, and they'll move across the country, obviously, if it continues to work for them. Guess who owns them? This is the weirdest thing because you look at the store and it's so attractive and so well merchandised. They're owned by Dollar General. So Dollar General that specializes in providing small package items, practical items for families who are really struggling to get by, a lot in rural areas, This is when they're going into high-income zip codes and higher-income zip codes in suburbia across America, and it doesn't look anything like it, but I'm sure some of the buying power that they have as big as Dollar General is now, they're able to use to buy huge inventory for the pop shelves. So you may walk in one and you might think, that I'm an idiot. Like, I don't get this place at all, whatever. But I was able to get some stuff. The ultimate way to my wife's heart is through our pets. Uh-huh. So I went to the pet section. I got some things. I knew that our one-year-old dog would really enjoy Kirkland Signature. Sorry, Costco. I bought pet items 
for Kirkland Signature, not at Costco, but at Pop Shelf. <laughs> and uh, she'll be really thrilled to have these items. So do I? did I leave them wrapped for Kirk? No, I left them wrapped for Lane to open. Mm-hmm. You also got her some late Valentine's candy too, didn't you? I did on deep clearance. And I got uh, hair clips. I I did a uh, video Random. call. No, I did a video call with her, and I thought about things that that she'll buy that are oh, way okay. overpriced. And you go there, and they got a whole section of just various hair clippy things. So I put the phone up there, and I said, "All right, which of these do you want?" Because it was like it was all like free compared to what you pay at other places for stuff like that. And she said, well, I want that one, and I want that one three to the right. And That's awesome. So you got to see all the things. I did. I did. All right, we'll go to questions now. This is from Robin in Pennsylvania. Do you have any suggestions for help with a parent plus college loan that I was tricked into signing for my estranged daughter? I have not spoken to her in over 10 years. Oh. She's 29 and has a full-time job since she graduated. Thank you for any help you can offer me with this horrible situation. I don't have funds for an attorney. Robin, I am, first of all, as a parent, I am so sorry that you were estranged from your 29-year-old daughter. That's got to hurt on so many levels. Unfortunately, your daughter has, it wouldn't help if you went to a lawyer, because your daughter has no legal obligation on the Parent PLUS loan. It's why I'm so frightened of Parent PLUS loans. Because as my late father used to say, one parent can take care of 10 children, but 10 children can't take care of one parent. And so a kid is allowed, as an adult, to have complete amnesia and lack of gratitude for what you may have done hurting your own financial self and your own financial future by having signed for Parent PLUS loans that also have usually unfavorable interest rates. You do not have a claim against her legally. And I don't know the history. It seems like it's long and sad of the estrangement. If at all possible, if you could send her a handwritten note without bitterness, which I know is very hard in a situation like this, and uh, take your time to write it so that it's just I hope, you know, I hope you're doing well. I'm really sorry for the distance between us. I want to make you aware that I'm suffering a real financial burden from your college loans. And I'm really glad that you've got a great job now. And you ask her, and I know this is this is hard to say because of whatever history has happened. You ask her if she can help out with these loans because remember you have no legal standing she has no legal obligation and so you have to appeal to her a mother to a child one human to another if you have any thing in that note that speaks of bitterness anger or you relitigate what caused the divisions between you she will not receive that message so I ask you please to be just, and, and get help from somebody writing the note if you need it, so that it betrays no bitterness or anger 
or alienation because you have to appeal to your daughter's humanity. And anything you do that throws up a roadblock of reaching her humanity is not going to get the result you want. And I wish you the best with this. You say you were tricked into doing a parent plus loan. I don't even know exactly what that meant, but that is unfortunately ancient history at this point, these many years out. All right. On a much lighter note from Brendan in Texas, if you receive products from Amazon to make online reviews and the items are free but are considered taxable income, are there any deductions available to help you reduce your tax? So there are a couple of ways that people are paid with free product. One is against Amazon's rules where third-party sellers on Amazon, in order to try to juice their reviews, will send you free stuff to write positive reviews. And that is against Amazon's rules and system. I assume that you're in Vine, V-I-N-E, which is Amazon's invitation-only thing for people who write continuous reviews on Amazon, may be invited by Amazon to write reviews, and then you will get a 1099, and you will have to pay tax on it because it is a a legitimate form of what sometimes is referred to as phantom income. So you do have to pay the tax. There's not a direct offset against it unless you have expenses involved that you can lay at the effort to write these reviews. And I can't imagine what that would be. Matt in Illinois, another tax question. My 15-year-old son is into coding and game design. He created a game and sold it online through a gaming site. The site requires you to link to a bank account for the royalty payments. It's legit. He earned $359 last year, and I received the tax document. He's working on his next game that he expects to earn more from than the first game. Is the best thing to open a custodial savings account for him and use that account to receive the future royalty payments? If we do this, I assume he would file a tax return next year. So the tax return triggers later with, let's hope the next game generates thousands of dollars in royalty payments. Then we got a tax return issue. In the meantime, yes, you can set up a custodial account. There's nothing wrong with having the money going to your account, but it's better in his social security number, you set up an online savings account or an online checking account, whatever you want to do. The money he's received can actually be used to open a Roth IRA, which doing so at 15, and then if the next game is successful at 16 and on like that, the value over time of putting money into a Roth IRA as a teenager is unbelievable. And so my preference would be actually to open a uh, custodial investment account at Fidelity Investments, set up a Roth IRA, and put the money into the Fidelity Roth IRA to have 50 years of growth. And man, the effects, the benefits over the years, unreal. And so this is a really good news story. Even though a tax return does not have to be filed at this level of income, it's important to keep records if you do the Roth IRA so that there's a clear tracking of how a teenager was eligible to open a Roth. So good news all the way around. I hope that the writing of games 
pays off big time over time. Coming up ahead, I'm getting more and more questions from people when I'm out and about with home prices going up. Is it something they should do looking for an ultra low down payment mortgage or they found one, should they do it? I'll give you my perspective straight ahead. Try to imagine if you're an existing homeowner, what you bought and paid for your home, what interest rate you have and the rest. And then put yourself in the place of somebody attempting right now to be a first-time home buyer. And home prices have had this big escalation in much of the country over a number of years, going back really to 2012. And then mortgage rates that were so, so low are now roughly double what they were. Man, I mean, it's a really tough thing to be a first-time home buyer. And then classic advice, you know, as much money as possible for a down payment and all the rest. This is a rock and a hard place for first-time home buyers. The home prices are higher, even though they've softened in much of the country and actually fallen back to where they were, let's say, a year and a half ago in certain metros in the country, but nothing like to where they were even just five years ago. So you got the much higher mortgage payment, the much higher home price, much higher carrying costs, and then the question I'm being asked is, hey, I was told I could do this loan program or that loan program or the other loan program, of which there are more than there have ever been, that allow you to do an ultra-low down payment. I mean, in addition to the usual suspects, like FHA loans and VA loans, more and more Americans are aware of the USDA loans, as America has sprawled in so many metro areas. There are jurisdictions that used to be considered rural, still are under the USDA loan program. And in a suburban, or let's say exurban area, an outer ring of a metro area, you may be able to get a very favorable terms loan from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Really. But now even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are offering programs with lower down payments. And the Biden administration recently came up with a new program for first-time home buyers that some will qualify for that lowers the fees involved with getting a government-supported loan. I mean, they're all more or less government loans, including Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But the universe of choices with these low down payments is much wider than it was before. Now, you will not have a free lunch because I mentioned fees. When you do an ultra low down payment mortgage, you have more ongoing fees because the risk that something would happen in your life, you wouldn't be able to make your payments for whatever reason you can't sell the home and you get foreclosed on goes up as the level of down payment goes down. So this is where my advice comes on these kind of loans. If the monthly payment that you would have in the home that you're looking and buying at a time of unfavorable conditions to be a first-time home buyer, if the payment is roughly equivalent to what you've been paying in rent and you are interested in staying in that area for a minimum of seven years, 
in that home for a minimum of seven years, don't wish seven years, but that your job situation, your personal situation, your career is in a position where it's very likely that the odds are strong you can be in that house seven years or longer, then going with a low down payment loan is okay. Now, why was I so this, this, and this? Okay. A lot of times someone will take on a home purchase with a significantly higher monthly payment than what you've been used to paying in rent. You didn't have a lot of money for down payment, so you're in there just barely into that home. Really no equity existing in that home. And you're trapped in that higher payment. That's why the first step in having a a potential green light on taking out an ultra-low down payment mortgage is that the payment is in the general vicinity of your current rent. Second thing is do a true assessment of where your life is personally and professionally. How stable are you in both areas before you would commit to buying a home where because of the very low down payment, you're not in a position to easily exit that home if either in some way falls apart. And that's a personal assessment. You've got to be honest with yourself and make yourself. Over time, regardless of what happens with home values in the intermediate term, over the long term, home values do ride with the general economy, plus a little bit more. So even buying at a time that prices are elevated, and interest rates are elevated, is not a long-term problem as long as you stay in a home long-term. That's why I put so much emphasis on that. Plus, with the interest rates, inflation still stubborn in the economy. Inflation is significantly lower than it was, but it's still way too high. So the Federal Reserve, doing the manipulation of the money supply they do, has pushed these mortgage rates up indirectly, And ultimately, there will come a time that inflation will be squeezed out and you will have an opportunity to refinance that home into a lower interest rate. That's why time is your friend. The longer the time, the better. Go to some questions now. This is from Andrew in Georgia. Clark, I never heard you mention this fact about the Costco City Rewards check. Because our recent reward was over $300, City emailed me and said I could choose a direct deposit option instead of using it at Costco. I chose a direct deposit and I had the funds in my bank account within three days. This was so much easier than trying to figure out what to buy in order to redeem my rewards. Okay, first of all, fantastic. Now with Costco, if you are an executive member, the money you get back has to be spent in the store. But with the city rewards check, you can go with it. It looks like a check, but it's not quite... You can go in the store and you just have them turn it into a check. Or, because it was creating so much hassle for the front end at Costco, and I'm sure some embedded costs for City, they now offer this option for you to convert it into a direct deposit into an account of your choosing. And I love that. I tried to do that and I had a, uh, I can't even figure out why it wouldn't let me do it. Did, do you, I did it, yeah. You did it? I did it. And I think it's a, a great thing, Andrew. And isn't it just fantastic 
that if you use the Costco or Sam's Club, Sam's MasterCard, the Costco Visa, as efficiently as you can, you get Sam's you get five percent back on gasoline, Costco four. You get three percent restaurants and travel with Costco, and you get some of that with Sam's, and then you get the two percent at Costco and Costco.com. Sam's Club you get 2% if you are a plus member with the card. So the cards work out great. When do you not use a Sam's Club MasterCard or a Costco Visa card for anything else? Because you only get a measly 1% for anything else. And so my wife has had me write out stickers for her because she can't remember, do I use this card, this card, this card? And she has it right there on her Costco card where to use it. And it leads to marital bliss. Perfect. Okay. This is from Jay in Florida. What is the maximum amount you would recommend for a homeowner's insurance deductible? I wouldn't make a claim on anything less than $10,000 today as I can afford the cost and I don't want to risk my rate increasing or being dropped altogether. But just how high should I go? 25 k I'm fortunate and have quite a bit in reserve so I could handle the cost in case of emergency. I'm trying to balance the risk and cost here. It's unlikely I'll follow a claim unless there's catastrophic damage. Jay, this is a dilemma facing so many Floridians, especially the roughly, is it one and a half percent of Floridians live in close proximity to the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean. And so... The risk to you with your homeowner's insurance, obviously in Florida, use it and lose it. Uh, Florida faces, in a catastrophic storm, the state legislature having to potentially bail out Florida residents only facing a catastrophe of a major hurricane. The devastation, if you look at the recent hurricane, not only disrupting people's lives and loss of life, but the property destruction in those Gulf Coast communities in Lee County, unbelievable. Lee County, Southwest Florida. And so having as a homeowner, if you have the resources, an extremely high deductible is smart. You don't want to make small claims. A lot of Florida homeowners insurance policies have two deductibles. They have one for unnamed storm events, and then second, when a storm is named, you face a much higher deductible. What you can do is from your insurer, you can get quotes for different levels of deductible. I assume, I'm making an assumption here, Jay, you have no mortgage. If you have a mortgage, your mortgage company will tell you what the maximum deductible is you're allowed to have before they do something called force-placed insurance, which is unbelievably horrible. But if you find that there's a break point where going higher doesn't really save you any money, then stick at that as your deductible. It could be 10000 25000 50000 something like that. Because if you ever do have a catastrophic claim, then at that point, limiting the out-of-pocket is a good choice. From what a mess for Floridians. I know. From Becky in Alaska, she says, I'm buying a new car for cash. I've been saving for more than a decade, and they said they needed my Social Security anyway to make sure I'm not a terrorist. I know my credit's frozen, and I figured even if they tried to run my credit without my permission, 
They still have me sign a credit application with most of it crossed out and do not run credit on it. They can't do shenanigans with it frozen. But afterwards, I Googled that the terrorist angle for needing my social may have been bogus. Did I make a big mistake? And if so, how bad is it? You did not make a mistake, Becky. All right. So dealers, car dealers, are responsible to make sure they're not participating in money laundering, which almost never has anything to do with terrorism. And most dealers have taken the position that running a credit check on you and verifying you are who you say you are is what they need to do to protect themselves from allegations that they are willing participants in a money laundering scheme. Most often it will be with illicit activity like uh, the transport or sale of illegal drugs. So you didn't do anything wrong. Your credit's frozen. They're not going to be able to do you any harm. That having been said, it is not unusual for a car dealer to run your credit on the pretext of the anti-laundering regulations for the purpose of then trying to convince you why you want to finance a vehicle you didn't want to finance in the first place. You will have no hard inquiry on your credit because your credit is frozen. If there's yet another reason we could add to the list about why having your credit frozen is such a wonderful thing. I love it, Becky, that you were on your game, clearly a member of Team Clark, and I hope the vehicle is absolutely wonderful. I'm so impressed how long you keep your vehicles. And that does it for us today. Remember, money advice you can trust available for you around the clock at Clark.com. And bargains for your wallet to stretch every dollar when you do want to buy something at ClarkDeals.com. Have a great one.